Welcome to A Question of Code. We are doing something a little bit different this week. We are talking about um, conferences. And if you listen to our episode about FutureSync, you will have heard the very fantastic voice that you've already heard, um, Tony Edwards. So, Tony, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so, I'm Tony. Um, I'm one half of the FutureSync conference team. Um, we are based in Plymouth, but we kind of, we try to draw people in from around the southwest and beyond. Um, and we'll touch a little bit more on that later on, I guess. And um, to give you a little bit of background to me, um, I had a career transition, oh, it must be five, six years ago now, um, when I decided to follow my passion um, and enter into the tech industry. Um, it was something that I'd been doing for probably 15 years um, at this point. Um, but I had never done it professionally. Um, excitingly, I was told that by one of my teachers that there was never, ever going to be a career in web development. So I decided not to pursue it. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will uh, say that that was oh, 1996, I was told that. So it's a wow. long time ago, but see how the world's changed now yeah it's comment it's comments like those that uh really get to younger people mm. <laughs> i suppose um yeah it, it, words can have quite a big impact even though the people were saying the people saying they might not have that thought at the time no they definitely Gosh. do yeah wow so what were you doing if uh before you changed career because we love a career changer on this podcast it's kind of a theme isn't it yeah <laughs> uh, so my my career i was working in retail management uh, so i ran a store in plymouth um with a million pound plus turnover we were running a post office as part of that as well it was a convenience store um, but it's really really hard work it was six days a week 13 hours a day and after four or five years of that um yeah, pretty much had a breakdown, if I'm completely honest with you, um, and decided that enough was enough and I had to go and do something a little bit different. And I just thought back to what I enjoy and the most fun I had um, career-wise or job-wise was always to do with technology. So I thought I'd follow that passion and see where it led me. And now we're here talking about it. So That's amazing. Yeah. It's really interesting to, to hear how often the work-life balance aspect of it is almost a like a real driver for making that change. Like I think it's people who have had to, who people have come up hard and had to do like serious jobs that to have long hours and are very kind of mentally taxing. Um, often, I mean, when we put out our call to to find out uh, how sort of poll our listeners to see sort of what kind of transition they'd had and how they approached that process, so quite a few were coming from from very like particularly construction as well. That was one that really stuck out with me. Is that yeah. that's a, a good driver to get you to put in the hours to learn something new. That it, it like that work that it takes to transition. Definitely. It's funny you mentioned construction and that was the career before retail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're winning the question of code bingo today then, Tony. You're, yeah. you're doing well. Is there prizes for this? <laughs> so, Tony, each week we have a question and this week, because you are an expert in this matter, I'm going to ask you, how do you apply to speak at a conference? So that's a big question. I'm going to start that by saying I am by no means an expert in this uh, there are far more experienced people out there with me um I'll, i can kind of talk about our experience in running future sync and the other events that i'm involved with um but i'm definitely not an expert 
Well, I well, I would fight fight you on that. I think having run uh, well, two very big successful conferences and also a series of, of smaller ones um, that we've been to and have been great, I would say that you definitely are an expert, which is why we've got you on. But um, can you give us a little, just a quick, like, potted history of FutureSync, the conference? And Yeah, sure. So the, the conference started, um, it was born in 2016 when I was studying at Plymouth University. And somehow I managed to talk one of my lecture, lecturers into allowing me to run a conference rather than doing a, a, a typical assignment. Um, so rather than building a, an application, because uh, I was doing web application development course, um, I, I ran a conference instead. I saw that that was potentially a better use of my time for the local community than me just putting out another React app or building another website. Um, and it was also something that incorporated a whole load of skills that I wanted to improve at the time. Um, yeah, it was born. The first one happened in 2017, um, and we were really lucky to get some good speakers down to that, which uh, really, really helped us kick the event off properly. Um, and from there, it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. And after a year's break, we did it last year, and we had our biggest year yet. And if early signs are to be trusted, this year coming is going to be even bigger, hopefully. Yeah, that's fantastic because um, Tom and I came along last year and Tom did a talk and that was amazing but just the whole atmosphere of the whole day was a, a really inspirational thing and back when I was still a teacher it was something that got me really pumped to to carry on making that career change well I'm honoured to have pumped you up <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just you Ed as well we, we were there with a with a microphone and went around and talked to quite a lot of people at last year's at the 2019 conference and there were lots of people there that weren't necessarily already working in tech who are there as part of their journey into the into the industry so i think if anyone who is listening to this who is in that position is uh looking for things to go things to go and see to hear inspirational people talk and to get a real like like ed said to, to pump you up get you excited about the um about the journey that you're on then future sync is a fantastic place to go Oh, thank you. That's very kind words there, Tom. Well, before we uh, sort of flatter ourselves into <laughs> into oblivion, um, you mentioned about having really good speakers before. Um, yeah. And I'm, am I right in thinking that you have a mix of people that you've approached directly and people who've just applied out of the blue, so to speak, to speak? Yes, we definitely do. Um, over... Over a year, it's probably typical that I'd go to 10 to 15 conferences in some way, shape or form, plus a whole bunch of networking events. And I see so many amazing speakers and I really, really want to bring those down to the southwest. It's kind of A, to for the local community to be exposed to those kind of people without having to travel for hours and hours and hours. Um, from where I'm based, it's three hours train travel to the nearest tech conference which isn't FutureSync and that's a large amount of time um, that you have to take out to go to it and it's also continuing on the tradition of um, events like DigPen and TechExter and Digital Plymouth and really trying to put Plymouth on the map outside of the southwest uh, historically and we as a community are very good at telling each other how good we are and showing each other all of the amazing things that we do but traditionally we've not necessarily put that far and wide so kind of future think tries to do that and by bringing those established speakers down uh, is one of the ways that we do that because speakers talk 
uh, speakers recommend events to each other, um, ward people off different events, um, and it's really important that we, we bring those people down. Uh, typically, so FutureSync has, uh, off the top of my head, I think 22 speakers in total, um, which is quite a number. And we would normally invite six to eight people directly to uh, be a part of the day. Um, and those speakers still go through the same blind review process that I think we're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, so there's no like favoritism or anything like that. Everybody gets a fair shot at being a speaker at our event. I, I'm not sure if that's the same elsewhere, um, but we certainly put everybody through a blind review process because we care about the quality of the conference as much as anything else. And something that struck me about um, not only last year's, but the one in 2017 as well, was the sheer like, the level of quality that is in the... T- it, it was not just an impressive lineup of people who you've heard that are, you have good reputations. It was the talks themselves actually sounded interesting. It's no- normally, um, when I go to conferences, you can kind of pick and mix and bounce from track to track and, and see a lot of things, and some are interesting, some are not. I've always struggled at the future things to, to pick the track and there's always been conflicts of things. Like, that sounds fantastic, but there's also this amazing thing on the development track that I just absolutely cannot miss. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, the work put in to focus on the topic and the talk itself as opposed to just getting big names in uh, really shows. So if I say I wanted to talk or maybe I don't know how we're going to approach this. <laughs> so if if I kind of set the scene here, so Ed, um, last year you came to FutureSync and I believe it was your first tech conference that you attended, is that correct? That's right, yeah. yeah. That's right. So this year I've kind of set you the challenge of seeing whether we could make FutureSync your first tech conference that you speak at. Wow. Um, uh- <laughs> with that, there's no favouritism or anything else. Uh, you used to go through the same blind re- review process as everybody else. Um, but I like the idea of uh, us using this conference to kind of help you along your career journey as well as uh, everybody else who attends. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I, I, I guess I have some worries or, <laughs> or that I, I've, I've only had a job for maybe five months. Um, am I qualified to give a talk to all these indus- people that are in the industry? And let alone tech, have you given any kind of talk of this scale to uh, to people before? I've done an assembly at school before. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that is probably the only experience I've got of talking, doing a talk. Um, I guess some of my teaching could come in handy with uh, like giving a presentation and having to plan for it and things. Um, but yeah, I don't... I, I, at this point, I probably wouldn't necessarily know what I would talk about at a conference. Yeah, so it seems like there's probably stages to the process that I would think of maybe like you've got to come up with a good idea for a talk. You've got to then kind of put that into the, a, a good application that is going to pass like, but hopefully pass pass a review process and actually get you get your name mentioned. I mean, most people aren't lucky enough to be invited, so also they have to have it has to kind of stand out in a, a broader when there's a broader call for applications. Um, and then beyond that, there's the, the prep that goes into actually doing the conference. If we focus on that first section this week, I think it seems like a, a good uh, pin, a good thing to pin the episode around. But um, can you, Tony, from your side, tell us what like the timeline specifically for like asking for paper, asking for people to apply, dealing with those applications, and then what, a little bit about what that process looks like from your side? Sure. Uh, so we opened our 
call for proposals in uh, mid-December last month. Um, and we put it in front of a whole bunch of people and asked them to submit. And those are the early speakers that have already been announced and uh, with the rest coming later on this week or next week. Um, and then from then, you've got six weeks in this instance to get a proposal in. Uh, so the proposals are closing on January 31st. And then we hope to get back to absolutely everyone as to whether they've been accepted or not by February the 14th. Now, I'm not sure if my girlfriend's too happy about me sending, <laughs> uh, spending was... all that time on Valentine's Day working on a conference, but it was a two-week window and that was the date it happened to fall upon. <laughs> As part of that, when we review all of the talks, um, we put them to a very small but diverse group of people um, who don't get to see anything about the speaker they only get the talk title and the talk abstract and then based upon that the talks are ranked and then we use those rankings to decide who to bring to the conference um, we're very proud of the fact that we've had a 50 50 gender split across both of the events so far so we use uh, diversity questions to kind of inform the final lineup but it's important to recognize that every talk that gets accepted gets accepted on its merit and its merit alone and we're not trying to sculpt a specific demographic at the event or anything like that we want the best talks to be on the stage so how do you select the people to be on that panel that are making those choices uh, so the way the way we've chosen them is we've looked at people who have experience of speaking at events. Um, they've got some experience of organising events, but typically not as much experience as us. So they're looking at it from a, is this talk going to be interesting? Um, is this talk going to be educational? And we use their experiences to inform us about that. So, for example, we've got a creative design track as part of our conference, and I will be the first to admit that I do not have a creative brain. So I'm not the best person to judge as to whether something's going to be of interest to that audience or not. So we rely on those people to tell us um, whether they think that's going to be interesting or not. Aside from the, the title and abstracts, are there any extra criteria that you, you take into account, particularly when it comes to like experience of speakers as well? Is that... Like, is there a waiting officially or is it just sort of put your finger in the air and guess if they think they're going to be good at it? Because um, I say that because often when put, when putting in requests to speak at events, one of the questions that's asked is how, how often do you give events? What's, what's your experience level like? Are you, a, are you a beginner speaker, essentially, is what they're trying to find out. Yeah, so we do we do use that information, but we don't use it as part of the review process. So it's, it's certainly not first and foremost in our mind, but it is part of the ultimate decision. Um, if we had a event filled with people who've never spoken at a conference before, um, you'd have a completely different vibe to it than you would if you had a, an event full of professional speakers. Um, and neither of those is, is what we're looking for. It's important to recognise that FutureSync was uh, set up as part of a university assignment. And as that, we want new people to speak at the event we actively encourage people to submit as part of the submission uh, you're asked if you're happy for people for us to share 
the talk abstract with other organizers so it might be that we don't think that necessarily you're quite ready to put that talk in front of a 250 person audience but perhaps there's a meetup locally where it would be really good for you to get some experience around talking with a view to talking at the following year um so i always kind of thought at a conference you had to like have your whole conference talk ready and then you would then you would apply to the conference talk so you're saying if i wanted to i'm going to apply but if i've got now got maybe a week, two weeks um do i have to get the whole talk ready before then or is what what's what is expected in that application form uh, so the, the the bits which you need to think about is effectively just the abstract um so when you're submitting an abstract my advice is always to be specifically vague uh, that's helpful <laughs> yeah i'm being specifically vague about that yeah speaking as someone who's gone through this process and and spoken at other events as well part of there's an art to wording something that gives you enough it's like like you say it's specific enough that it says what you it says like the thrust of what you're going to be talking about but also there's enough room that you can adapt that and adjust it as you get closer to the day and and try out particularly if it's the first time you're giving a specific talk you're probably going to i mean my, my natural way of doing things is I'm working on them up until the very last minute. So I'll be making changes the night before, which is probably bad. Um, but I think a lot of people do that, have a similar process. But I think I don't think I've ever given a talk that was, you could, was recognisably different from an abstract that I've submitted. Yeah, and it is important to keep your talk uh, related to the abstract because um, otherwise it'll be a huge surprise for us and the audience on the day um, but you, like I say you do need to give yourself that leeway because I always see talks as a good way for you to solidify your knowledge around a topic and when you're learning about the topic you're talking about you don't necessarily know at the start what's going to be incorporated into it um, I'm given a, I'm preparing a talk at the moment about uh, website accessibility and I know very little about the topic, but it's something I'm really keen to learn about. So I've been very careful in my abstract to not promise anything I don't think I can deliver on the day, while still trying to make it sound interesting and still conveying the talk topic, just not going into detail about it. So it, so when I'm writing my proposal, I'll need like a, a, a strong title. And then we keep talking about abstract, but... Uh, what sort of length would that be is that like a paragraph is that a page um how much detail i know you've said keep it vague and specific and but i mean i'm talking about how many words <laughs> uh, so i always think two paragraphs is enough um i think yeah. that you can get across a good talk topic in two paragraphs um give the event organizers enough meat to be able to market that talk um but still give yourself not the biggest job in the world to write it if that makes sense yeah i guess it's definitely i imagine worth spending quite quite a lot of time thinking about but at the end of the day you might get not it might not get accepted and then you don't have spent like a week for hours and hours at a time working on it and then have it not accepted exactly yeah you want to keep a balance but also if talking is something you're serious about having like a selection of, of abstracts that you're working on. I mean, it, it might be a lot of work for one specific conference, but you think how many good conferences there are throughout the year that are worth attending. You can apply to multiple conferences with, I mean, Tony, I know you, you are almost famous now for, for one of your talks that's been given in several, they're given on several occasions. Infamous, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that talk, um, Beats, Rhymes and Unit Tests, it's called. 
um, when I came up with the idea. I came up with the title and emailed the meetup host and said, this is the title of the talk and I'm thinking of finishing it with a wrap. Does that sound okay? And that was effectively the abstract. They didn't know anything other than that. <laughs> I mean, it's a strong pitch. It's a strong pitch. And that's a, that's a strong title as well. How did you... Did it take you a long time to come up with that or is it kind of a, a stroke of genius? <laughs> and it's the t- So I'm a big hip-hop head and that's the title of a Tribe Called Quest album or a song, I believe. Um, I'm not the biggest Tribe fan, but uh, yeah, I believe that that's a, quite a famous hip-hop song title. So I just stole that and put unit tests in the middle. <laughs> I was going to say, is unit <laughs> test part of that song? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. <laughs> So have you got any um have you got any tips for people for me um kind of thinking of a good title do I want to be just one sentence today I'm going to talk about blah 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 or like yours is quite just like almost like a newspaper headline sort of thing Yeah I think that you got to think the title is going to be what appears on all the promotional material and is what people attending the conference are going to judge moat like what they see based on the title above all else and obviously you get you get a little paragraph under that, but it's the title's the thing that's going to grab you in. So I think I'm my my assumption has always been have the idea first, and then the title comes after that. It's almost like putting a headline on a newspaper story. Hundred percent agree with that. Hundred percent agree. I think when you're thinking about titles and talk abstracts and things like that, a very useful thing to do is to go back over previous years and have a look at the kind of talks that have been accepted. Now, you're very lucky uh, here, Ed, because you've got somebody on the team, so to speak, uh, who's been through this process and can really, really help you out with it, hopefully. Um, But have a look at previous years. You'll get a lot of information and a lot of ideas based upon what's been accepted before. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I didn't think about going back and looking at others for some reason. (laughs) Now, you can go one step further with ours because all of the talks are on YouTube. Ah, well, I did watch a few, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get to see all of them. Tom's yours is the best, obviously. Well, I, I, yeah, definitely oh, not. No. I mean, I can say I've gone. <laughs> I was very glad of the recordings because, yeah, they were like I said, there were there were talks um, that I didn't get to see because I sort of you know there were conflicts of really good titles, and you want to you pick one and necessarily have to miss on another. So having them recorded to go back to is, is a great resource for people who just visit the conference casually, but also like you say, as research for preparing good talks in the future mm. and have you watched yours back tom i checked that it like existed and were, um, was was complete um that's about as far as i'll go <laughs> do, a, do a, bit, a little bit of self-debrief um lots of lessons learned <laughs> but did you enjoy it did you enjoy giving the talk and absolutely i mean it? yeah there's that sort of 10 minutes of sheer abject terror beforehand like i i get speaking in front i'm presenting at work when i may be in a in an off in a meeting room with like three or four other people i find terrifying anyway but particularly at a big event like yours um the buzz that you get afterwards is quite something and then to to feel like you've like got up got your message across and particularly at the end when i mean the audience is such uh, these kind of events that there are always interesting questions um and that is, I think, often when I've attended conferences in the past, you can you can judge the quality of a talk almost by the, the quality of the questions that come afterwards. Like if it's got people thinking, it's got their brains engaged, there's going to be a lot of, of questions. And I had quite a few questions at the end of mine. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> um, 
but generally I, speaking, I, I think there were. I don't think I went to a single talk uh, at FutureSync last year that couldn't have continued on for another half an hour of conversation with the, the attendees and the speaker, um, which I think is a good sign. Yeah, so we purposely keep the sessions short for that reason exactly. Uh, we kind of want the speaker to get their idea and the concepts across in that 25 minutes, as well as a few um, actionable points for the audience, hopefully. Um, but we want the conversation to carry on over the lunch break and into the after party. And I think that that's something that you get from conferences, which you don't get from watching videos online as you get the chance to engage with speakers yeah i think it's yeah important to prepare if you're thinking of becoming a, of being a speaker like know in advance what kind of level of availability you want to provide afterwards as well i know some people like a lot of people in our industry are very introverted and shyness is a can be a crippling thing in some cases and people really get nervous and, and stressed and there's mental health issues to worry about but if you are if you do feel able to make it make yourself available to talk to people afterwards i've, I've my instinct is my instinct is to run away and hide after these kind of events but i've <laughs> deliberately made i've deliberately sort of taught myself to stand around look like i'm looking for someone to have a conversation with and people will come up and talk to you about the thing that you've said mm. um, so t tom what what why did you decide to do a talk what what motivated you to apply there's a certain level of like personal vanity i think brand tom needs a boost every now and again so it's <laughs> it's from a career perspective it's useful to be seen as to be an, an expert in something and there's a pretty and giving a talk on a topic is a good way to position yourself as an expert um generally like even if you're not an expert when you submit the talk if you if you're suitably scared by the, by the prospect of giving it you do enough research that you become an expert and you you learn the edge cases and the nuances that you need to be able to kind of put together something interesting of that depth and length um and that like the learning aspect of it is having a Having a deadline, like, it's, there's no harder deadline than a conference because like, it happens. <laughs> yeah. At a very specific time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can't phone them up the day before and say, oh, no, can we just push this back a week? There's no, like, particularly when it's like, you're looking at like 200 people turning up. They're, they're turning up with an expectation. Um, so it, it, I find that kind of hard deadline sharpens the mind. And I found mm. last, last year, I mean, I did web audio was the, the vague topic of my, my talk. And I... Kind of, it was something I felt I knew a bit about already, but definitely, even as someone who would maybe consider themselves a web web audio expert, putting together a talk and actually going that extra, like putting the polish on top and the learning aspect of that is just fantastic for personal growth and career advancement that comes from being better at what you do. Yeah, I never. Yeah, that's a really. I like that. That. Um, yeah, I think you said it as well, Tony, when you were talking about you. You were doing one this year on. Um, was it web? Oh, accessibility. Uh, accessibility accessibility yeah. in the yeah. web. And you just, you kind of give yourself that hard deadline so that you have to learn it, whether you like it or not. And I like picking, I like that you've picked something that you maybe don't know that much about so that it's going to kind of force you to learn more about it. Yeah. So the, just really quickly, the reason that talk came around um, is because I, in my previous job, I worked in education outreach. And as part of that, one of the people that I mentored was a young blind woman. And I was really surprised at how, I don't want to say how easy she can get around the web, but just how different it is for her to interact with technology. Um, so seeing her use a screen reader was eye-opening to me. And it just thinking that to the, the web to us is a visual thing, but to her, it's an audio experience. That it was mind-blowing. 
um, and seeing the impact that things like the smart speakers from various tech companies um, can have on her life um, really made me want to dive into it. It's one of those topics that really do, like people do sort of have light bulb moments, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I had a colleague previously who had I think it was cerebral palsy and couldn't, they didn't have the use of their arms essentially to, to type or use a mouse. And they, could, they were a programmer, they were writing web code and they were just using their feet. They had this fantastic uh, device on the bottom that was all about touch influent, uh, interfaces. And it makes you realize that you don't like, even level, like you kind of, you imagine blind and deaf people having to interact with these things but there's other levels there's the degrees on a whole scale and it almost shouldn't be down to the light bulb moments of a, a particular developer having first-hand experience of someone with these problems it should be something that's just built into the nature of the web from the start so i think that leads us really well onto uh like how you would go around picking a talk um i don't really have i mean i mean i've got a few little ideas that are buzzing around my head but I, I kind of don't feel qualified necessarily or I wouldn't know what sorts of things that we're looking for at a conference. I know you said look at some of the other previous titles, but I, I wondered if you had any other tips for, or you as well, Tom, for um, what's, what people might be looking for from a talk. So from my point of view, something we're keen to incorporate this year based upon feedback from last year is we want every talk to have at least one actionable thing that the audience can take away and implement. And that doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a company changing management technique or uh, expose on a brand new technology or anything like that, but just something within the talk that people can take away. Now, I know you might not want this bit to go out, um, but I know that you're recently uh, a career switcher and I think that that gives a really good perspective um, on the technology industry because you've not been, I don't know what the right word is, jaded by it, indoctrinated yet. I'm, I'm not quite sure what the right word is. Well, there's definitely a certain, there's definitely a level of cynicism that comes in to those of us that have been around for a little while. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a fresh perspective on things. So for me, what's exciting about inviting you to go through the CFP process is that we could potentially incorporate that fresh perspective, which would be really good for the uh, early stage career people that we have at the event. Because we do Mm. put a lot of time making sure that a good number of um, students who are likely to stick around the Southwest or at least stick around in the technology industry um, are at the event. I think your insights into the first five weeks with your new company would be invaluable to people. Hmm. So, yeah, so rather than it being a, a technical topic like some of the talks, this is one that's more career focused and sort of talking about that pro- that process of transition. Yeah, that you're to. that's just one idea that, that I had. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be what your talk is about, but I think just the fact that you've got a fresh perspective on things um, is there, there's value in there to an audience. Just remind people. <laughs> that's interesting. I'd never thought of it from that perspective. I um, I suppose I was cynical in my own, my previous career. So um, I was, hopefully that's not come across too much. I don't think it has. Um, I, I feel very positive about everything and, so that might be something that's useful. And I guess I was at the conference last year. I was, I could do it imagining I was in my own shoes. Does that even make sense? Um, yeah. Well, okay. You've got a clear so, idea of what your audience is going to be like. Like if you're, if the thing that you're taking, if you want to, the thing that you give the audience to take away is something about 
like something something around that point of transition of switching and retraining there's bound to be loads of interesting tidbits and advice you've got that you can give there you know exactly who you're aiming your talk at to be able to to deliver that effectively mm. yeah well i got a lot i definitely got a lot to think about so yeah i will get on that and i'm sure we'll maybe we'll have a follow-up episode at some point where we talk about the the idea in more depth perhaps yeah how do you deal with the rejection of not being accepted to talk at a conference yes, that would be that's the exactly what i was thinking because <laughs> <laughs> it might happen uh, it might happen how do you, how do you deal with failure? We haven't done one of those. <laughs> I th- well, I think it's worth pointing out that this kind of process is not is is not without risks from a personal exposure sense. You're putting yourself forward to apply to things um, where there are going to be more people applying to talk than there are slots to talk. It's it's like it's very akin to applying to jobs where there are more generally more applicants than there are jobs available it's an inevitable part of the process that you have to deal with rejection in a healthy and sensible way and be able to learn from it and build from it and not have it completely crush you because i don't know anyone who's got to the stage even that we're at in our careers who hasn't had to deal with rejection of some form at some point Mm -hmm. um i don't know this is maybe getting very deep and somber for the end of the episode (laughs) i think it's it's just it's inevitable it's the cost of doing business sometimes is that you're going to apply for more things than you can actually do. Um, yeah. And, but the, the, when you fail at things, that is kind of the best time you can learn from things. I say people that have never failed have probably never learned anything. Cause if you get everything right all the time, then you, what you, what you can, what can you learn from that? That's why you say to the kids anyway, <laughs> <laughs> learning opportunities, not failures. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Tom, you, you talked earlier about why you want what that your motivations for doing the talk and we kind of talked about it's a good learning experience and um, you kind of get your name out there. Uh, I guess that helps your career as well. Um, I wonder if there are any other kind of maybe other benefits that I hadn't thought about or maybe things that are negative about that. Yeah, well I'll throw that straight over to Tony because I I've kind of outlaid my outlined my motivations and they're very specific to me. I guess everyone has their own uh, fears and ambitions from speaking at a conference. What have you encountered, Tony, having dealt with a whole load of speakers? Um, So I'll package this up as a feedback sandwich, if you like. (laughs) Uh, So for me, I'm speaking here from personal experience, not anything else. Um, The biggest pro that I got from speaking at a conference was confidence, um, so if I rewind back to when I was at university, first time I had to do anything, even approaching a talk, um, it ended up with me having to run out of the room and throwing up. Um, and if you think, you know, you've, I think you've both seen me talk at one point or another. If you think how far that journey's come and how much of a boost to my confidence that, that you would associate with that, um, it's, it's done wonders for me, um. And that's that's just something that I wanted to work on. Um, but confidence is definitely, in my mind, the biggest pro of getting up on a stage and talking to people. When you think that public speaking is often cited as people's biggest fear, the fact that you're able to get up on a stage and talk to people, knowing that most of the audience, are, and I'm saying this in quotes, uh, too afraid to get up on stage and do it themselves and um, that's a huge confidence boost now the flip side of that in order to be confident on stage um, you 
might need to spend a lot of time working on the talk, which is definitely a big con. Time is money. Time is uh, time spent with family, you know, and you have to sacrifice some of that in order to put your talk together. Now, as an ex-teacher, I'm sure you're used to uh, throwing things together at the last minute, but I certainly <laughs> wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> no, I, I think I'll take a different tack for this. I'll do what I told the students to do. <laughs> plan ahead. <laughs> Good plan. Um, but it, I mean, the other big pro for me is when I think about all the places that I've spoken at, I've gotten to see new cities, new countries, um, fresh people, um, new communities, all through a 40 minute talk that I've put. Admittedly, I've put a couple hundred hours into that talk in order to get it to the point where it's at. But it's a very specific kind of talk. I certainly wouldn't recommend putting that amount of time into something. Uh, like this unless you really really want to but i think that 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 time spent was well paid off but the traveling it's an amazing thing and i guess that 200 hours you make it sound like this big thing but i guess you're doing it over a period of time and i i'm sure there are bits of it that you enjoyed i enjoyed every moment of it (laughs) every single moment of it if i'm completely honest i'm sick of my own talk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've heard it that many times, but other people enjoy it, so that's all that matters. Yeah, I remember last time we we spoke, you were talking about the the giving it for the last time. Has that happened now, or is there another chance for people who are listening to to catch you giving giving the famous? Um, so the talk has been rewritten and shortened for an event in Amsterdam, but that's probably going to be the last time I ever give it, unless I get an amazing offer to go to another amazing place but certainly the intention is that that's the last time i give this talk because like i say i am getting fed up with it so uh, so go on plug it how are they get how are people going to come and see you uh, in amsterdam when what's the conference <laughs> i can't remember <laughs> uh, no i can't uh, the conference is called front end developer love um it's a i think each day has one and a half thousand people in it it's in a huge space um and tickets are available via googling front-end developer love i guess i'm not sure that there's that many left actually no i imagine that sort of scale will be uh, pretty full well in advance but talking of plugging things we should talk about well two questions firstly what does cfp stand for in the context of applying to a conference and where can people f- go if they want to apply to FutureSync? Um, So CFP stands for Call for Proposals. It's kind of a throwback to the days of academia when people would submit uh, talks around whatever topic they're they're, uh, studying, I would guess, at the time uh, to scientific conferences or similar. Um, And we just kind of, as an industry, just adopted that that acronym. Um, So Call for Proposals. And you can find R1 uh, via FutureSync co.uk you'll find it there and if you are thinking about proposing even if you are not sure if you're ready to talk at an event or anything else similar please do Um, even if we don't accept you we're more than happy to facilitate you talking at other events and we work with i think broadly speaking about 20 communities around the southwest in as part of various projects and we can certainly put it in front of those and did you say earlier that you can't you looked at every single proposal and you'd get back to every every single person that applied? Is that something you said? Yeah, 
we look at every single proposal. Everybody who applies will hear back either way. And if those people want feedback, they're more than welcome to ask for it. We typically don't offer too much detailed feedback um, when we're sending out 80 plus emails on Valentine's Day. Um, but we're more than happy to give feedback if people want it. And if people and if people just want to go to the conference to attend, just to soak it up and enjoy it, and particularly if you're someone transitioning your career and looking for inspiration, where do they go? Is that also futuresync.co.uk, presumably? Yeah, so they can go to futuresync.co.uk and if they use the discount code, a question of code, in all caps, no spaces, um, they'll get an amazing 10% discount on already bargain price tickets. Amazing. Fantastic. I can truly say that I've learned a, a lot more than I knew coming into this chat about uh, conferences. They were kind of, the talks were kind of always this may, vague, mysterious thing um, that I, I kind of never imagined I'd do. Um, I, am, I am really honoured that you've asked me to do it. Obviously, I'm going to try and make my talk as good as possible so that hopefully it gets accepted in that blind review process. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about getting a talk together. Um, I'm probably going to go away and get started on it now uh, after this chat. Um, but yeah, thank you again. And it was really good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. And if I might add really quickly before we go, um, as I said, my last job was in education outreach. And this was a podcast that I always recommended to people. And whether you realize it or not, you have helped a hell of a lot of people transition careers. And I think that's something that you should both be very, very proud of. Well, that's amazing to hear. And it's definitely part of the goal of what we're, we're doing here, We specifically with the intention of helping other people follow along with Ed's journey. Now that he's, I mean, it's fantastic that he's been successful and we, it gives us more to, to talk about. But uh, yeah, it's been quite a journey and we're, we know so many other people are going through something similar. Um, I mean, everyone's different. Everyone's path is different, but there's the fear is the same. The ambition is the same and the excitement is always the same. Um, yeah. My, my my reasoning for starting the podcast was not a well, not a selfish one. Um, I, I did want to kind of help other people in that situation. Obviously, I've been a teacher, and that that's something that's really important to me. So it's really it's really nice to hear that I, it has been helping other people as well. So thank you. No problems. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So thank you for listening to this week's episode with Tony Edwards um, of FutureSync. And you can check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev, um, where you can also find contact details for us. Follow us on Twitter if you can um, and ask, ask questions and get involved. Uh, Tony, do you have a Twitter handle you want to plug right at the end? Yeah, I am Tony Edwards PZ absolutely everywhere. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being a guest on this week's episode. And we will catch everyone else next week for the next episode of A Question of Code. See ya. Bye. Ciao.